Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is Wednesday, February the 16th, 2022. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I am your host for this episode of the weekly news that is fun and somewhat related to enterprise IT. I mean, we we try to talk about all kinds of things because we don't want you to be grouchy out there. Why not? Because today is National Do a Grouch a Favor Day. However, if you're going to do that, I highly recommend that you do the favor before you tell them what day it is. Because if they're already grouchy to begin with, they're probably not going to like it when you tell them why you were helping them. Joining me for this episode is one of the least grouchy people that I know, and one of the first times that he's co-hosted this show with me, Mr. Gerard Cavallinas. Gerard, welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Uh, thank you for having me. I am stoked to be here. I've been waiting to do this. This is exciting. I love I love getting to watch anything Gestalt IT, right? Follow the events. I got to be a delegate networking field day, you know, a while back, and it's just exciting anytime I get to do something with you all. So I'm ready for this. <laughs> well, good, the good news is, is that just like uh, the Hair Club for Men, not only are you the president, you're also a client. Now, not only can you watch Gestalt IT content, you're in it, buddy. I know. Um, we're <laughs> going to start crazy? off. Oh, awesome. We're going to start off with a great story here. We're going to be talking about something we brought up a few times on the rundown. Um, you may remember that there's been a little bit of an acquisition spree in the chip maker market. Um, some of them have been unsuccessful because it turns out that getting a whole bunch of countries, different regulators to kind of agree that you should be able to do this thing isn't the easiest thing in the world. However, AMD just bucked that trend because they are formally acquiring Xilinx this week for a $49 billion, you know, chump change. That makes it the largest semiconductor acquisition in the history of the market. The deal has been in development for about 16 months, a little over a year, because it had to clear a lot of different groups that wanted to add their own little two cents to the process and, and everything like that. It's an all-stock transaction that we've talked about previously. It will see Xilinx bringing their expertise in areas like FPGAs and DPUs under that larger AMD banner, because they're now going to be set to compete with Intel and NVIDIA across a wide spectrum of technologies. Now, Gerard, since you're new to the show, you haven't had the opportunity to kind of comment on this acquisition over the past 16 months. What are your thoughts on this massive deal that has reshaped the industry? And quite honestly, as someone mentioned today on Twitter, um, this now makes it that AMD has the market cap larger than Intel for the first time in history. I know, right? Now it's Florida. It's funny when I used to build computers a long time ago, early on in my career, was one thing I was like, "Oh, we're gonna get Intel, AMD. Yeah, the performance may not be there, but times are changing, right?" And I think what makes this such a sweet deal, even sweeter, was it happened on Valentine's Day. So it can't get any better than that, right? Well, I guess it can because it's funny they they closed this. The stock price was actually set at a whopping forty nine billion. So as you said, that's the largest in their history. This is a huge tonal shift for them because they're going to be moving forward. Now through the company, it's going to allow them to increase their market share in a lot of key areas, not just processors and you know video cards and graphics, but there's also that forbidden door that they can open now, right? So it's going to allow them to, as an organization, dive into, expand new markets. You know, they wanted to really begin focusing in the data center market, which has for the longest time they couldn't do, you know, whether they didn't have the bandwidth or they didn't have the growth, they have all of that and more now. And with this merger, with this huge change, it's going to allow sustained growth for everyone. And I think it's a win all around, right? Because all the parties that are involved, it just goes to show you, you know, there's no question. The chip makers will do whatever they need to to make sure they get their piece of the pie. It's a hot market right now. You know, it got me excited 
when Juniper got to present last a few months ago at Networking Field Day, I was excited. I got to see, you know, the Mist AI platform and all the phenomenal things they were doing. And I, well, I know everybody's been asking, you know, what can you use in, or integrate into Mist AI? Well, we don't have to wait any longer. It was announced on Monday that the acquisition of WhiteSand, it's a cloud-native NAC solution. Their development engineering team is actually going to be working and integrating their software into the service offerings. And I think it's going to be phenomenal. You know, it's going to make a perfect fit into their SASE and SD-WAN solutions that are be coming out sooner than rather than later. What do you think about that, Tom? Well, it's funny because you look at the announcement that Juniper made uh, just a few weeks ago at Networking Field Day in this past January, where they were talking about what they were building on top of the uh, SD-WAN platform that they acquired from 128 Technology. And a lot of people are kind of like, well, I don't know how this whole SD-WAN thing is going to work. Is it just connectivity? But you've got that other camp that's like, oh, SASE is the new rage. And everybody wants to talk about all the cool services that you can put on top of the connectivity. And one of the things you kind of need when you do that is this ability to do network access controls and, and zero trust type of platforms. And you want to do that natively. And the reason why that we've seen that is because the companies that have offered these technologies for rental, basically, when you think about it, are big acquisition targets. I know that BitGlass was, it was announced that they were going to be acquired uh, last year. So honestly, if I'm a company, you know, the big players, the Cisco's, the Palo Alto's, um, those kinds of companies, I want to in-house this. I do not want to leave this up to chance. And so White Sand actually makes a whole lot of sense. And talking to some friends of mine in the industry, a lot of this acquisition wasn't just for the White Sand platform. It was for the development team that had been building it. They're going to be brought into Juniper kind of whole cloth, almost like the 128 team was. And I think that you're going to see a lot of synergy coming out of that because here's the other thing that's kind of a big deal. If you just look at this on the surface and you see the acronyms that are in the news story, oh, look, Jennifer bought an act company, how 2006 of them. That's not the purpose of this acquisition. It's to get that team there to integrate the software up and down the stack. And if you've ever talked to the people who came from Mist, if you've ever had a conversation with Sadir Mata, you know that man is a hurricane of information and excitement about these kinds of things. But more importantly, he's vision. The rest of the MIST team's vision for how AI can make this whole process better just keeps building. And I would not doubt for a moment that at some event down the road between Sudir's team at MIST and Kate Adams' team with the security group inside of Juniper, that we're going to be seeing some very exciting developments about the integration of the white sand technology across the entire Juniper spectrum. And I'm pretty excited to hear how that's going to come out. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> Exactly. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more semiconductor news because that's one of the things we like to do here. Now, you may recall it's been about a year since the big breaking news that Pat Gelsinger went to Intel. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, hopefully our editor, Abby, can stick an excited picture of Stephen Foskett losing his mind right here. <laughs> but um, Intel is positioning itself to be a very big giant in the chip fabrication space because they announced yesterday that they are going to be adding a new facet to this plan because they're buying Tower Semiconductor. Now, you may not have heard of Tower because you probably don't play in the semiconductor space, but Intel's actually been a Tower semiconductor customer for a number of years. The reason why you probably haven't heard of them before is because they don't make chips that go in PCs. They make a whole bunch of other stuff, specialized analog processors, CMOS chips for image sensors and things like that. So they build stuff that goes into other things that you might buy. Now, the move is seen by a large number of industry experts as a way to be able to add production lines to the foundry services, but also 
um, Intel is ramping up their chip production facilities. And one of the issues that they're having is, is that you can't just build a fabrication facility overnight. You have to spend um, 20 something billion dollars in several years to get this thing put up. And Tower already has facilities everywhere. So this could be a situation where Intel is trying to get access to existing founder capacity now, but hopefully we'll soon be able to get more stuff. The deal is expected to cost Intel around $5.4 billion, which, you know, is a drop in the bucket anymore. But Gerard, thinking about how Intel is now moving outside of the traditional chip market, What's this going to look like for people in other adjacent markets? Is Intel just basically trying to get a, a domination going on all of the chips in the industry? Oh, absolutely. I mean, let's look at the way this operation's expanded, and it continues to. In just the last month and a half alone, they announced solid locked-in plans to build a massive $20 billion fab company, a complex based in Ohio that's going to be used just for fab chips, or fab chips for IFS. That's number one. Then you have the billion dollar fund dedicated to building what's called a foundry innovation ecosystem. And what that does is that helps further establish like key business, drive adaptation of disruptive technologies. And it overall, it just changes the way we prioritize capabilities that focus on time to market developments. And then it focuses on everything else after that, right? So such as chip architecture, designing, configuring, packaging technologies, a ton of other things after that. You know, it's crazy, too, because I mentioned it, you know, you've mentioned it in past episodes more so than ever. Chip shortages right now are at the highest they've ever been. I mean, there's constant back orders on switches and, and a lot of things. And then you have to go through and then do the initial part on your end as an IT professional, the scheduling, the installation, all that work. But I know with everything the way it is right now, these process improvements are going to help in all spaces all around to really target and narrow down and kind of centralize where the areas are where they're having issues, where they're struggling, and it's going to be able to get things a lot more clear and back on track. So, I mean, hopefully we see, you know, great change in the next few months, and I'm going to be monitoring that pretty closely myself. <laughs> so I got to ask you, Tom, Super Bowl Sunday was a big weekend this weekend. There's no question. Everybody who's anybody in the world was probably watching it. It's a huge global event, as it is every year. And I would be doing a disservice because my friend is a huge 49ers fan. So I'm not going to lie. Getting to share this with him and seeing his reaction is going to be priceless. But it seems that on Super Bowl Sunday, the organization itself was hit by a massive ransomware attack uh, by a group of criminals known as Blackbite, claiming they, uh, they claim to have managed to steal a bunch of the team's financial data along with some other things. Now, as of, as of right now, no demands that I know of have been released yet. Law enforcement, I know, is, is doing their due diligence and working tirelessly to assess how much of the damage have been done, if there's any other networks that have been involved. And I know that the FBI did mention too previously that this new strain of malware that they utilized actually was launched back in November. So it kind of begs the question, you know, what kind of penalty do you think the 49ers should be looking at at all this? So first of all, if you are the Santa Clara 49ers, and I refuse to call them the San Francisco 49ers because they don't <laughs> play in San Francisco anymore. But if you're the 49ers, the best place to bury news about you getting hacked and infected with ransomware is two hours before kickoff of a game you're not playing. So bravo to the people who decided to dump this news right into the flow of the pregame and everybody talking about Odell Beckham Jr.'s shoes and everything else. But that being said, uh, first of all, uh, surprised that no NFL team has been hit yet because, you know, owners are billion-dollar people. So um, insert all kinds of crazy puns here about the 49ers having a weak defense, ineligible receivers downfield, totally offsides, whatever. I could go on for days. 
but the important thing to remember here is that this is a ransomware strain that has been known about since November. So it's not like we didn't tell you it wasn't coming. The problem is, is there's just so much junk out there now that who knows. And the other issue here is in, in the story that we're going to link in the show notes, it's actually kind of fascinating because remember that while you may think of the building in Santa Clara as the 49ers stadium, it's actually Levi stadium that the 49ers play in. It's two separate organizations. So one of the things that the local law enforcement agencies are so hell bent on figuring out is everybody who's a tenant of that stadium. Now we have to figure out, could they have possibly been infected by it? So for example, the 49ers, you know, they have office space and they work out of there, but just like any building in any high rise anywhere in the world, there's other places, all of the food service organizations, all of the bars, all of the event management spaces, because I don't know if you know this or not, but you can actually go rent a room at the 49er stadium at Levi's and you could just have a party there if you wanted. It ain't cheap. It's, definitely cheaper to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And, um, you know, games are kind of about the same quality, depending on who they get in the draft this year. But um, the important thing to remember is, is that all of those people have to be screened now. <clears throat> and I'm not going to lie. The next time I drive by a Levi Stadium, <clears throat> when we're doing Tech Field Day, I may think twice about getting on the network unless I'm connected through a VPN or something like that, just because I don't want to run the risk of having my offense shut down by somebody else's defense. This is true. All right. I'm done with the football puns. Um, we're going to talk something uh, a little bit more current because today, uh, content delivery network player Akamai is getting into the hosting business. They've announced that they're going to be acquiring Linode, which is one of the most popular virtual private server companies. Now, you've probably heard the name Linode before, and you would be remiss to remember that Linode actually predates AWS's dominance of the market. Um they have been very successful in a sea of competition. And in fact, one of the things that makes them so unique in the space is they haven't taken any outside funding. They are one of the few providers out there that is not beholden to venture capital. Now, the deal is going to cost Akamai around $900 million, which when you think about the acquisitions we've talked about already, really is a drop in the bucket. But it is going to help position Akamai to grow into a bunch of adjacent spaces. And in the press release that Akamai uh, showed, they're talking about things like metaverse and a whole bunch of other content creation stuff. And when you consider that they're essentially positioning this as, look, you can host content with us and not have it on AWS and not pay the exorbitant prices that it takes people like Corey Quinn to figure out how to get down. Um, you think maybe they've got a little bit of smoke and fire there. Um, but Gerard, is this a good pickup for Akamai? I think it is, right? Because, you know, before AWS turned into this massive cloud computing, you know, empire, uh, VPSs, normally VPSs were the way to host your websites or basic web apps. So it's changed. And that was around 2003, 2004. It's, it's been a few years since then. So right now, you know, making this acquisition, it allows the company to continue to expand its offerings, right? It's HyperClouds. And then you have other competitors out there, um, such as DigitalOcean. They're starting to emerge. And I noticed that Linode had initially bootstrapped and kind of prepared themselves for this from both the financial and on the back end. So they never took any outside funding. It's going to allow them to do a ton of different options to really expand out, um, you know, from the compute platform, from cloud to edge, and it's going to give them a huge distinctive advantage. So I think we're going to be seeing them as a big time player in the next uh, in the next coming months up to a couple of years. 
Yeah, I would totally agree there. And as uh, customers of Linode, because uh, Tech Field Day and GestaltIT.com both run on Linode, um, we look forward to our new Akamai overlords. And uh, hopefully the service will continue to have the same great performance that we've seen in the past. Yeah, All right, cool. Gerard. Well, we got a couple of stories that we want to take a little bit of a closer look at this week. Some exciting news that broke that um, maybe needs a little bit more discussion. So I'm going to let you kick it off with the first story. Oh, that sounds exciting. I am pumped. Thank you so much. So Friday, I think it was no secret, uh, we saw a huge announcement that Cisco made a $20 billion offer to acquire Splunk. Now, outside of that initial offer for the data and visualization organization, there haven't been really any current talks between the companies. But I don't know about you, but I've been, you know, in, in the group chats and I'm a part of the Phenomenal Champions program. And it's, it's just the talk of the town, right? But here's the thing. I haven't heard anything from either party, from either Cisco or Splunk. There hasn't been much going on. But on an unreal, on a kind of sort of related note, Splunk's stock soared substantially. So it begs the question, I mean, where does that take us in the IT security space? Like, well, how do you see this changing the landscape, Tom? Well, I, I have to go back to something that John Chambers was notorious for saying in those keynotes years ago yeah. when he was a CEO and chairman of the board, which was, if you can't be number one in a space, you need to buy number one or number two. That was John Chambers' philosophy. And if you look at all of the acquisitions that he did over the years, he was not going to spend time developing a software if he didn't know for a fact he couldn't be the best out there. He would go out and immediately buy it. And that's important here. So Cisco and Splunk have had a tight partnership for a number of years. And Splunk is almost synonymous with the Seam market. So if you are a security person, you know what Splunk is. Although <laughs> I will say that probably my favorite joke from all of this was $20 billion. Is Cisco buying Splunk or just trying to renew their licenses for the next year? Splunk is reassuringly expensive. That's how you know they're the leader in the market because you don't pay that much money for something if you're not sure it's going to work. And everyone keeps talking about how this is going to make Cisco a leader in the security space. I would argue that it positions them in a different space entirely. Now, obviously, Palo Alto Networks is probably one of the biggest names out there. But let's just do a quick rundown of some of the stuff that Cisco's got. They've got Firepower Threat Defense, which they've, which they've integrated across all of their portfolio of firewalls. They've got SecureX, which is a technology that we've talked a lot about at our various field day events. Ben Greenbaum has done an amazing job of talking about that. You would think that Splunk would either roll up into kind of its own atmosphere or it would it would take all of these things as an ingest method. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Even if all Chuck Robbins does is position Splunk as a thing we sell, like WebEx initially, makes sense, right? But that's not what Cisco did with WebEx. They positioned it as a thing we sell. And oh, by the way, all of these other things roll up into it. I could give you chapter and verse about everything that Cisco could do with Splunk, but this rundown episode would be an hour and a half long. That might be something we probably need to do for a conversations or a checksum at some point in the future. But let me just give you this little tidbit. Cisco's been working on a lot of AI technology to be able to do things like traffic analysis and all that kind of stuff. What is the one thing that AI needs more than anything else? It needs data. It needs access to something that it can crunch an algorithm on. What do you think would happen if Cisco's nascent AI plan suddenly got a shot in the arm from Splunk and the amount of data that they can ingest from all across your network? Boy, you think Cisco Works was fun. Wait until Splunk is your new Cisco Works. Now, one thing I will say here, 
$20 billion is a lot of money. So the two biggest acquisitions before this, the one most recently was the Acacia Networks acquisition, which was around, I think, $4 billion. Uh, Don't quote me on that. It was a lot. It was billions. And it was actually billions because Acacia was going to get bought for a song. And then they realized what Cisco was going to do with them. And they actually held out for more money. And it actually caused a lot of problems. But the other one before that was the Scientific Atlanta Cable Box acquisition. You remember that, right? The what the hell is Cisco thinking buying into a cable box company, which admittedly probably profited, but didn't profit enough because, I mean, I have Cisco devices in my house that are that kind of stuff, but ultimately it didn't pay off the way they wanted it to. And that was a drop in the bucket. I know I've said that several times, but consider that $8 billion for Scientific Atlanta, you're going to more than double that. I admit Splunk is worth it even just for the licensing revenue alone. But that's a lot to consume. And as we've seen with other stories, like we covered with the HPE autonomy story uh, a couple weeks ago, this is make or break. Autonomy's failure got Leo Apotheker fired. I don't think Splunk would be the thing that would get Chuck Robbins thrown out the door if it fails. But I do think that if they buy Splunk and it doesn't take off the way they're expecting it to, that Chuck's going to be on the hot seat. Gerard, you're you're a little bit closer to some of these than I am kind of inside of, of the organizations. What are you seeing? Like, what, Do you think that this is a good move for them? I think it's interesting, and I think it's going to position Cisco in a whole – like I get excited, right, when you hear a lot about – because, you know, more often than not, when Cisco makes an acquisition, it's, it's for the better that I feel, right? Look at the Thousand Eyes integration. The way we monitor – infrastructures and common issues. Well, the network's having a problem. And I think it's something with the ISP. We can't figure that out. Thousand Eyes changed the game on that. I'm still, I still am cutting my teeth heavily on learning that. I think Splunk is going to do the same thing. I think if positioned properly, it's going to give Cisco an organization. Like you said, I I don't feel it's going to, it may put him on the hot seat, but it's not going to be his ticket out the door. There's no way. I feel that there are so many bigger and, 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 and more efficient things that, that, that could actually hurt the organization as a whole. If anything, you know, it's going to go one of two ways, right? As anything in life, this is going to be successful, whether they integrate it into their, you know, data and, and, and monitoring and analytics platforms, or there, as you said, they're going to do it as a standalone service, or if it, if they can't really find a good home for it, a good fit, I think they'll just write it off. You know, I think it's going to be cut our losses. Let's move on and press on because that's that's what we have to do in business sometimes. But I, I'm pretty excited to see how they they position this. As I said, it's interesting that it's very hush hush right now. You know, there <laughs> when that went up, you know, they were probably sitting there, you know, stoked. They were probably just like living their best life, and it hasn't even begun yet because they work with one of the biggest technology organ- companies in the world. So I'm just interested to see how this all plays out. This partnership, and you know, I'm kind of I'm just interested to see where it goes. <laughs> Yeah. And I will say, first of all, uh, a standard disclaimer, nobody at the rundown is a financial analyst. We're not giving you financial advice. So don't take our word as a gospel truth. But the fact that this story came out on a Friday in the news dump afternoon that you normally see, especially the week before Super Bowl Sunday, um, the fact that nobody is referencing anything here and that both companies have said no, and that it's a stock, it's probably going to be kind of a stock transaction for an, an amount that high. Um, really makes me think that somebody leaked this to the Wall Street Journal to spike the the Splunk stock price. And now that they're not in active negotiations, I think that this was probably not supposed to slip out until about a month from now. Because the the timing on this, this is just after Cisco's uh, Q3 starts. 
So I think that this was going to be a big thing that they were going to announce at Cisco Live. And this was going to be like a big crown jewel. So, uh, so I, I'm curious to see. Yeah, I'm curious to see how this plays out. But uh, again, I don't have a whole lot of access into this, but I promise you that you will probably hear more about this as we go along. Definitely. All right. Now we've got another big story. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Western Digital announced the last week that at least 6.5 exabytes worth of NAND flash cells have been contaminated and are completely unusable for SSDs. The contamination was detected in late January in two different Japanese manufacturing facilities that Western Digital operates in partnership with Kyosha, which is the company formerly known as Toshiba Semiconductor, they making the storage cells. Um, Western Digital and Kyosha together account for almost a third of NAND flash sales and uh, equipment supplied. The news has added fears that the amount of storage cells that are going to be produced are going to be hard to find in the future and that that's going to drive prices up through the roof because I can remember a few years ago when there was a fire in a, in a Thailand manufacturing facility, how the prices of hard drives and memory suddenly shot through the roof. And this is, this is way bigger than that. Um, Gerard, <laughs> how bad is this going to be for the NAND market and what problems can you foresee happening in the future? I could see a ton of them. Okay, so let's let's start with let's look at it from both the production and the cost perspective. To begin with, this is one of, if not the primary component of solid state drives. So you're going to see that spike, like you said, increase from both the production aspect, manufacturing of the hardware, everything, to then you know retail and getting it on the shelves or even globally. Whether you're whether it's from an enterprise perspective or whether it's from a commercialized one, you're going to see prices go up at least ten to fifteen percent. That's number one. This is going to affect the PC market over the next few months too, which right now it's it's, it's crazy because it's thriving because you have buyers from all over that are and people that are facing as we've mentioned the global chip shortages, how more demands for higher end quality GPUs to do more performance processing along with additional features. It's going to be a huge setback, but I feel that they can bounce back, right? Because when you have someone as strong as an organization or brand like Western Digital, Kiosha, their partnerships very tight. And as you mentioned, over 30% of that market is cornered by them. You know, they're one of the leading suppliers in the industry. And I know through, you know, their marketing, their planning, they're going to be able to kind of have to sit down though and pretty much do damage control in my eyes. And, and, and kind of, you know, this isn't one of those things you could take three, six, nine months every day. You know, the, you know, the old saying time is money and money is time and you can't waste it and we can't lose it. So they're going to have to put a plan into effect, be efficient, execute that plan, and then, you know, start launching that and distributing that plan to production and manufacturing and how we can pivot to be successful or else it's going to hurt them in the long run. Yeah. So, um, I'm the networking nerd, right? I had to phone a friend. I had to call my buddy, Stephen Foskett, the, the, uh, other co-host of this show, even though he's busy this week, um, he got back to me. Now, Stephen's calculations that he's done says that 6.5 was the ultimately conservative number. He's thinking it's a little bit more like 15 exabytes worth of data that are worth of storage that's been corrupted. For reference, that's 10% of the global NAND chip production capability, period. So as a word nerd, I am very happy to say that literally production has been decimated. Look that one up if you don't know what that means. But this is the deal. 
So anytime that you see like price restrictions in like the fuel market, uh, gasoline is a perfectly good example. As soon as there's anything that can cause the price of gasoline to go up, all of the suppliers immediately spike their prices because it's the spot price that they're trying to get. They want it. Re, um, they want to get money for the spot price because they know things are going up. So a lot of manufacturers have decided to just jerk the prices straight through the roof right now. A lot of other ones are probably going to follow suit. I'm sure they're going to claim supply chain issues. That's my new favorite thing. Um, like when my kids ask me why we can't have ice cream for dinner, I just say supply chain issues and they believe me. Um, but more importantly, um, this is going to have a lasting effect. And it's going to have a lasting effect on everything you touch because you know what? These guys use NAND cells too. And uh, if you think it's hard to get a hold of a cell phone when there's a chip shortage, wait until you can't get any storage for it. Remember how we used to cry when the iPhone only had eight gigs of storage and how we really wanted more. And then they started upping the prices and now we can't find chips to put in there. That's going to be a problem. And think about everything that you own now that has some kind of a storage device in it. I'll give you an easy one. You know, those really cool refrigerators that have the window on the front that allow you to make a shopping list and show pretty art. Where do you think all that stuff gets stored? Spoiler alert, it's not on a spinning hard drive. So everything is going to be impacted by this. And 15 exabytes worth of storage corrupted. Like I can, I understand like when you're trying to reduce the process yields on silicon wafers and you might run into some problems, um, you can, you can toss a lot of silicon wafers. But 15 exabytes worth of chips, that's a contamination problem that you needed to get a handle on a lot sooner. So I, I'm, I'm a little worried from the perspective of storage is about to get really expensive, relatively speaking. I mean, we're not going back to $400 for nine gigabytes of storage anytime soon. But still, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, so I'm sure that we'll probably uh, be developing this story a little bit more. Um, we promise, though, we will make sure that we preference all of those with spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so it's a busy week around here. I've got a couple of events in the week ahead that I definitely want to talk about. The first yeah. one is actually happening right now. Uh, Cloudfield Day 13 is going on in Silicon Valley. The uh, other host of the show, Mr. Stephen Foskett, is probably on camera or behind it right now talking to some great companies. If you want to learn a little bit more about who's presenting, you can go to techfieldday.com right now and see the current presentation. We're streaming it live. We're also streaming it over on our LinkedIn page. So if you go to LinkedIn and you search for Tech Field Day and uh, you see the video, make sure you leave a like or a comment because we'd love to hear what you have to say about some of this cloud-related stuff. We've also got a couple more events coming up that I want to talk about. The first one is Storage Field Day, which is going to be happening March 9th through the 11th. Um, that's a chance for Stephen Foskett to kind of talk about some of the cool stuff that he's seeing in the storage space, not related to poisoning a whole bunch of SSDs. But the other exciting thing that's coming up is later in March, um, it's Security Field Day. And it's going to be a jam-packed event full of a lot of people that are going to be talking about a lot of different security things. And uh, there might even be a familiar face at Security Field Day. I wonder who that could be. I don't know. Oh, I think I have an idea. It's going to be me. I'm going to be yes. there. I'm excited. It's my first in-person Gestalt IT event. I've been frothing at the mouth. I've been wanting to, you know, networking field day was a blast when I was presented that email and you gave me that opportunity. And I thank you for that. And I've gotten to be part of the Gestalt family and it's been a blast. And now I get to do my second event. It's going to be a great time. We got an awesome panel of delegates. We're going to have Fortnite or Fortnite there, a ton of great vendors. It's, it's going to be an amazing time and I can't wait. So let's get ready. <laughs> Well, we're excited to see you, Gerard. We're excited to see the rest of our delegates who will be there. And you can also check out the lineup of companies if you go over to techfieldday.com. Yep. 
If you're more of a rundown person, though, you can absolutely check out the rundown each and every week, 1230 Eastern Time, here on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. If you'd like to check out show notes and see the links that we've collected this week, you can head over to our website at gestaltit.com, and you can click on the uh, episode, and you can kind of check out some of the stuff that we're doing. You can also follow along for more coverage of industry events, uh, some of the briefings that we take throughout the, the months. Um, if you're on our YouTube channel, you can check out, as I mentioned, the Conversations episodes that we do. We'll have one coming out this week where I'm talking about Wi-Fi 7. Um, spoiler alert, don't wait for it. Um, you can also check out the Checksum episodes. You can check out some of our unboxing videos and a lot of the more uh, content, a lot of the cool content that we cover. Um, but remember, tune in every week for the rundown. If you want to check it out on YouTube, we'd love to see you. If you want to listen to this in podcast format, please make sure you look for the Gestalt IT rundown. You can consume it in your podcast application of choice when you're out taking a jog or, or possibly trying to hunt down some NAND chips that might be buried alongside those truffles that you Either need to, uh, to, to get some more storage. Um, but for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for our amazing co-host, Mr. Gerard Cavalinas, thank you very much for stepping in today. And for the rest of our Gestalt Bradley. IT community, Thank you very much. We appreciate your opportunities to uh, share a little bit of time with us each week. And we look forward to seeing you. Make sure you have an amazing day and we will see you soon. See you.